Hi, I'm Meredith. I'm Kristen, and we want to welcome you to The Writer's Story. Yes, and it is August, and um, we are really, really excited to have a memoir writer today. Yes, J. Dana Trent, who is an ordained Baptist minister, also a professor of religion and humanities at Wake Tech Community College in Raleigh, North Carolina. She's got four books of nonfiction under her belt, um, two most came out um, this year, well, one of them is forthcoming in a week or so, Yeah. Um, Dessert First. So we are super excited to talk with her about all things memoir and life. Yes. Um, and memoir and life, Meredith. Wow, life, life. <laughs> it is August. Um, uh, so let's see, I think I've had at least two trips away. Mountains, beach. Nice. Um, Good intentions, good intentions. Um, but you know, I, I've done some writing. I'm sort of making you my always way. do. I'm making my way through this thriller. Maybe it wasn't as many words as I had hoped, but almost it almost never is. I always <laughs> aim high and then accept accept what you get at the end. Um, good. And you have had a very busy. Oh my busy goodness! August. I've been moving, finally moving out of one house that I had thought I would live in the rest of my life and into another house where I have been living for the past. You don't want to rush into these things for the last eight or nine years with my beloved husband. So it's been a merging of households that I've tried to do without a whole lot of disruption and boxes. But again, aim high and then accept and then that accept, there are a lot of yes. boxes. And it's taken a lot of time. But I've been back in... The um, middle grade novel that I drafted some time ago, my my darling Rose in the kitchen with Gracie May, and have been thinking, rethinking some of the structure of it and some of the driving plot points. So it's been an interesting. Well, just last night I thought maybe I should just throw this out right now. So up and down, and then today, <laughs> and, and then today I thought, well, this is fantastic. So anyway, so wow, you the... are you are yo-yoing between all the phases of writing. There's yeah. always someone says oh, you get to a certain page, and there always is a moment where you say, "This is the worst thing that I've ever written. This is the worst thing anyone's ever written." It would be a waste world. of my time, the I, readers' time. Exactly. That's and, right. And I'm um, full of despair. And then um, some time goes by, and you go, "Oh, this is the best thing I've ever this written. This is and fantastic, <laughs> and fantastic. I can't wait for it to hear the, the world." And the truth is somewhere in between. I, I <laughs> Maybe needs more editing, uh, but the, yeah. uh, will be fantastic. Will be fantastic in the end. Um, so this is so much. We have never talked to a memoir writer mm. on our show, uh, so, but we have talked to people who write fiction and nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I think we usually just sort of push them towards the fiction a little bit, but no, this will be really interesting. And I, I like that we're stretching ourselves yeah. despite the fact that it is August when you're supposed to only stretch out on a beach towel. That's right. <laughs> um, and so I'm excited to talk to Dana. Me too. Me too. Hi, Dana. Hi. How are you all, Kristen and Meredith? <laughs> Doing great. We are just so excited to have you on our show today. Um, if you're just tuning in, this is Jay Dana Trent, our guest for this month. She is a professor at Wake Tech Community, Community College, excuse me, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, author of four books of nonfiction. 
Uh, most recently, actually, she has published two in 2019. Is that right? Or that one is for right. Three? Wow. Yes. Two this so, year. Amazing. So super hardworking writer and professor. Um, the book that you released, I believe, in January, One Breath at a Time, mm-hmm. has to do with Christian meditation and forthcoming very soon out in September, Dessert First, about death and dying. Um, we're super excited to talk about those books and also to learn a little bit about um, the books that you had published before about marrying Fred, who's a Hindu. Yes. Mm-hmm. Dana is ordained Baptist minister, so um, that's a, a fertile subject <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that we're excited to hear more about. So maybe we just get started. Um so we, one of the things that we love to talk about is just how you came to writing in the first place. What brought you to the page? Your books are a combination of personal and practical, and you write in such an engaging way that makes sense, I think, to loads of folks interested in um, a variety of topics. Oh, thank you. Well, Kristen and Meredith, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's, it's wonderful to talk with you, and I'm a fan of your work, and so I'm very excited to have these conversations. And I came to writing. I had a very um, circuitous path to writing. I, I stumbled into it, sort of, but I also think it was it was my destiny. I, I think I was, I was born to be a writer, and I can remember vividly learning how to hold a pencil and having dreams and ambition of wanting to tell stories, even from the from the very beginning when I was just learning how to write sentences. And so I grew up writing stories because I was a pretty kind of a lonely kid and spent a lot of time by myself. My brother is much older than I am. And so by the time you know I was a little girl, he was in college. And so I entertained myself with stories, with writing stories and telling stories, but I didn't pursue that in college. So because I was told that, you know, being a writer was a hobby and you needed to find something far more practical to be in your life. And so I was going to be an attorney. That was my dream. (laughs) And I went to undergraduate at Salem College, a small Moravian college where I majored in French and history and was a pre-law student. And then my path just sort of opened up from there, and I actually ended up going to divinity school instead at Duke University. And law school and divinity school are actually quite similar in that they are they're dealing with um, moral communities and ethics and values and the way the world works. And so it was a good fit for me. It was an excellent fit for me. But I still had put writing on the back burner, and I was very restless, and I knew it, even though I graduated from Div school, I became a chaplain, I went back into higher ed and worked with students. But the whole time, I mean, oh my goodness, every night I was on my computer writing and at Borders on the weekends. You remember Borders, the bookstore? You know, just dreaming of being a writer. And so I finally took the leap in 2011. So 2011, see, we're at 2019. So eight years ago, I became what I call a writer with a capital W. So claiming this identity as writer. But it took me a while to get here. Um, But I do think it was something I was just born wanting to do. 
Oh, that's just great. I love the picturing you as a girl with that pencil, figuring out how to hold it just right so that you could yes. start getting those words down. I think it's, I think in, in what you're talking about is very interesting because I think a lot of people have trouble with the identity of writer, that somehow yeah. you have to earn that as opposed to just sort of your story, which is you were actually born a writer. Mm-hmm. And you're a writer that's also a minister and a teacher, and and that's and it's sort of interesting to know where we put those priorities, you know, and and how we feel nervous about claiming an identity. Like, do we have to have an MFA before we say we're a writer, mm-hmm. or you know, what what's the or to be published? I think a lot of people put that as the mm-hmm. and that and um, but I but I think what you're saying is you're, you're compelled. You're compelled. That's it. That's it. Yeah, it comes from within. It really does. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for affirming that. And I do think that there is beauty in embracing what I call, you know, the slash, literally the the slash on the computer where you could do I am a writer slash professor slash minister <laughs> slash, you know, whatever you want to add to that. Right. Spouse, parent, you know, spouse, parent, all those, all yes. those things. And I think all of that. Yeah, and yeah. to have to be okay with the multiple identity, but also to understand that it is a strain. It's not, you know, it's not easy. Correct. Um, but I also, um, I also think that's very interesting because I think to claim it, some people will ask you to justify it. But for me, the act of writing is, you know, an act of courage and an act of, you know, of, of committing that time. And so, if you writing every day or writing as much as you can, thinking about what you're writing, then you're a writer, you know, period. You know, the other stuff is gravy, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But I think in in your case, um, I think about that word Meredith used courage, especially because um, your books are very personal and to reveal some of these things about your own, um, your own life, your struggles, your joys, but challenges and frustrations along the way. I think about um, Dessert First, where you share the experience of your mother's passing, your mother's death, and in the course of that, help readers think about um, their own deaths and also the deaths of those they love, whether have happened or may, will, sometime down the road. So, and I think about this, it was your first book was Saffron Cross. It was, yes. The um, story of your, as a Baptist minister, marrying Fred, the Hindu monk. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, that business of writing out of the personal and how that is for you or how you chose to do that. Mm. Thank you so much, and thank you for the kind words about about the books. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, it's it's absolutely personal for me, and it could, you know, I, it, something that Anne Lamont said years ago that has stuck with me is, write the book you need to read. And I think mm. I always approach it from that point of view. I write in order to figure things out, and it is the only way I know. The only tool I have thus far in my toolbox 
to figure things out that are going on in my life. Mm. And these four books are extremely personal, but they are each unique in that they are about something I was struggling with at the time and needed a book. So for, you know, if nothing else, it's really very selfish in that I'm writing to try to figure out the solution <laughs> or at least a way to cope with the, with the problem. Mm. And the idea that once you, you know, hopefully get that first draft done, you can open it up a bit for the wider reader and make it applicable to their lives, which I think all of these books do have some application for the reader. But the only way I know to write a book is to have that personal narrative and to invite the reader into that space to hold it with me. And hopefully there is something that they resonate in their own space that is going on with them. I think this last book, Dessert First, Preparing for Death While Savoring Life, is possibly the book that does that the best and does it the most because, Kristen, like you said, we are all dying. Every one of us is dying. The mortality rate is, you know, it's, it's one, the death rate is 100%. Right? <laughs> None of us is getting out of here alive, right? And so this one is really, it's, it's deeply personal, but it's also universal. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And even, even thinking about future books, I'm thinking about other things that I'm wrestling with that I'd like to write down. But, and for me also, and you two are probably know this to be true for yourselves. I'm also drawn to a particular genre, which I see reflected in my writing. And for me, that's memoir. I love reading memoirs mm -hmm. and it, it hopefully reflects in my work, you know, what I read and the type of memoir I read. Um, but I just, I really enjoy that space of personal narrative. And that's also the theologian in me as well. Story is a powerful source of sacred truth. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I love, into that. Yeah, I love that you um, reference Anne Lamott. I, I always recommend her um, her Bird by Bird to yes. fledgling writers. As we mentioned, a lot about the courage of putting your first words down and how you just, you know, she says that lovely little image, just fill a little box. You know, all you have to do is <laughs> fill a little box today. <laughs> You're like, oh, I can do that. You know, she sets the bar low enough that everyone can participate. <laughs> um, but I also love, she's such a, um, you know, she's very, she very much shares her struggles too. It sounds like she resonates with you on many levels um, and her spiritual journey. So that's lovely to hear that she has, you know, been a good influence on you. Oh, she has. Yeah, she's sitting right here with me on the, on the bookshelf, right? <laughs> That's great. I like yes. her. I like her personality and I, her persona on Twitter as well, which I think it's, I, I think it's yeah. a genuine one. Um, and she recently got married. She did. And uh, to Neil, yes, yeah, to Neil. We feel like I we feel know like him. <laughs> First name basis. Yeah, you are. Neil. Were you at the wedding too? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that we, um, that there is something when someone reveals their vulnerability that you do feel like you know them. Um, and, and I think that that comes across from what you're saying is that, that it's a very brave thing to let someone get to know something yeah. about you that is vulnerable. That is. Yeah. So I was wondering about a little bit about your process. Do you, um, so, and again, I'm kind of thinking especially of Dessert First, which will be coming out really soon in September. Best um, title ever. Right? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I will pass that along to my editor. She was the one who discovered that title. For oh. Us, so. 
Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we always, that was a very frequent phrase in the family. Uh, life is uncertain, eat dessert first, so I think. <laughs> yes, and that's what your mom said, right? She did. Yeah, she did. Yeah, yes. and um, so what I'm thinking about is how I wondered as I was reading it whether you had um, been keeping a journal right along. So do you journal and then translate into manuscript when you are thinking book-wise? Or not? How, how are you keeping track of so much? <laughs> mm, I'm going to take a deep breath on that one, Kristen. Yes. <laughs> it's a lot to keep track of. I, I am, however, fortunate or insane or both um, that I keep a daily journal. Like, wow. so I've had a journal since elementary school which is kind of bizarre. It's amazing. Have, um, elementary school was a little more sporadic, but then like middle school and high school when I started, you know, my crushes and everything, then I was like journaling on the daily, right? Yeah. Um, so, but like David Sedaris, like I'm committed to my journal and I've got shelves of journals. And so, yes, Kristen, that is the, that is the, that is the well from which I draw on the experience that I was having in that moment with mom with the, during those last two weeks. And so that the journal becomes the basis for the book. Um, it's an extremely useful tool for me. It's my spiritual practice. I pray every day, but my journal is also my prayer. It's also my meditation. So it's, yeah, it's the, the books are really, I mean, they're, they're so vulnerable because they, they are literally like my inner thoughts, you know, cleaned up and edited well, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's me me on the page wow and do you I just practically I'm like how do you do that and do everything else do you have a certain time that is just um sacred so to speak when you journal or and have you had that same time for these years how do you do that or do you just find time every day Oh, yes, that's a great question, too. It's, I I personally have had the mornings are my time for journaling. And I have always journaled in the mornings when I when I lived with my mother and in my 20s, I did I did lots of typewriter, like typewriter, lots of computer writing at night, which was sort of journalish, but my paper journal I've done in the mornings. And when Fred and I got married and we moved in together, Fred was still keeping a monastic schedule, meaning that he got up at 4 a.m. every oh my day. Yes, which is really annoying. Extremely <laughs> annoying. But, but really good for a writer. <laughs> because it's like, okay, I'm up. The alarm's gone. I mean, gosh, what am I going to do, you know, for three hours until I have to get ready for work? I might as well sit down and write a book. Aha! Now we know where she finds the time. Yes, I um, I love hearing about your journals. I'm also I I have journals going back to when I first started to write. And I would say that they are nothing that anyone would ever publish because they're pretty boring, especially when I was little. But um, I did, I've done different things and I think um, it's really interesting always to hear other people, how they journal and how they approach their journal. But for a while I made myself keep a dream journal as part of my journaling. And what I found was really remarkable, and that was something I was going to maybe ask you if you are if you ever do something, how far back it is. Because when I would read about a dream that I had, if it were if it was several years ago, I would be able to understand what it meant. Wow! 
even if it was the most ridiculous dream at the time. Wow. You know, my mother and my grandmother were in it, and there was a dead body, and there was this whole thing, you know, whatever. It would be very strange, and you have the dream, and you write this down and go, what on earth? And then I, then you, two years later, you go, oh, it was about the fact that you were leaving home, and death is about transition, and you're changing yes. relationships or whatever. I mean, you would just see it, and if you didn't write it down, you wouldn't have had that moment because it would have altered through time, and then it would just be... So, right. So, it's, but anyway, so how far back do you go in your journals when you start writing? When did, like, when, for instance, when did your mother pass away? And then you're going back to look at those. So if for the, for dessert first, mom actually, she, she died two years ago last Saturday. Oh, wow. So this has been a very, um, raw and real process in terms of I'm, I'm processing her death, writing about it, journaling about it as the publishing contract is underway, drafts are due, developmental edits are due. We are launching a book. Here we are. Wow. Um, Yes. It it was, it's a, it's a very, um, it's so interesting. So, but, and I'll, I'll pause there and I'll go to the, to the dream journal part. I also keep a dream journal and I'm going to totally affirm that, especially for listeners that they need to keep dream journals, um, because the symbols in our dreams are so important and you're right. And that sometimes it takes more time to assign meaning to the symbols or figure out the meaning for them. And so keeping them as far back as you can go is, is really useful. Um, for mom's process, I was able, of course, to go to my most recent journals because it's only been two years. And for Saffron Cross, I was also, so that book came out in 2013. Fred and I were married in 2010. So that was also kind of a book that I was living and writing at the same time. The, uh, the two books in the middle are also very much that way, too. So For Sabbath's Sake is about having chronic pain and managing chronic pain with a spiritual practice. One Breath at a Time is also about um, grief and crisis and how to manage that with a spiritual practice. So many of these have been like real-time books where the journal entries used are pretty fresh, pretty, you know, within, mm-hmm. I'd say, the mm-hmm. past couple of years. The, the next book project that I'm working on, I'm, I'm now going back 20 years. So I'm going back to when I was a freshman in college. Wow. So that's really like cringeworthy. <laughs> Be that's gentle. Amazing. Be gentle to yourself. <laughs> so what is, what is this new book project? So this new book project is one that I workshop at Collegeville Institute in, well, outside of um, Minneapolis. It's in Collegeville, Minnesota. I recommend it to all of your listeners. It's um, collegevilleinstitute.org is their website. They are an ecumenical gathering of writers, uh, and they host workshops every summer. And the great thing about them is that the workshops are completely free to writers. So um, the airfare there is covered. The workshop are covered and so my workshop was was with Lauren Winner who is a memoirist academic and one of my writing mentors actually from Duke and the book is about my childhood it's called Breaking Good it does not have a publisher um, so it's being shopped around right now in fact I'm, I'm back on the lookout for an agent now 
and a publisher for this book. And it's about sort of this, this idea of what we talked about in the beginning of growing up as this kid who wanted to be a writer and tell stories because she was witnessing all the stories around her and how she was trying to make sense of those stories leading up to my freshman year in college. My parents, and I allude to this in Dessert First, so Dessert First is kind of a teaser for Breaking Good. Both of my parents were um, severely mentally ill. My father was schizoaffective, and my mother had borderline personality disorder, as well as bipolar. And so it's about growing up with parents who are very, very sick and don't necessarily have the resources they need to be functional and healthy adults. And how do you, um, how do you, for lack of a better term, break good out of that situation? How do you make it good? How do you survive? What is the spirituality of survival in that context? So that's what that book is about. At least that's what's about today. Who knows? It may change tomorrow. But today, <laughs> that's what it's about. Well, well, well it I sounds know. Really good. Yeah. Important. Yeah. I, I love also what you're um, what you're alluding to, which is I think a huge part of creativity is. Uh, in having an intention so you're not you're serious about what you're doing but being willing for surprises or <laughs> yes uh you know taking a detour if um something else strikes you so that sounds like it sounds like a a really um wonderful book it's so interesting though i feel that a lot of people start with their childhood yes and now you're coming to it in the fifth book coming to it I'm certain it's a it's a shadow place for me it's um yeah so I think I'm 38 now so I think now that I face death right I can face anything (laughs) (laughs) death is much you know I'm like oh this is childhood is scarier than death I got got that this is okay Uh, but going back to childhood is 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 difficult and I I talk about this in dessert first with my father's death because my father's death was so different from my mother's death but my father was a very very notorious drug trafficker in the midwest um and also hence the title breaking good it's a it's a a playoff of breaking bad Mm -hmm. obviously but um and so the wrestling with with growing up as the king's daughter that was his name we called him king and so you know I'm the daughter of drug trafficking parents and so wrestling with that reality saying it out loud oh my gosh I think that's the first time I've said it out loud is is really scary and so I think I've just now come to a place where I'm ready to process it and write about it what's scary to you Dana I think is super valuable to readers because you're dealing with something and bearing information if you will or an experience of yours that Um, painful to you is something that I think can help a lot of readers wrestling with um, their own possibly unhappy elements of childhood and trying to figure out how, as you put it, to to make good out of a situation or context that um, isn't intrinsically so. So I think, um, yeah, so kudos to you for having the courage to share that. That's um, Thank you. Yeah, really huge. And I also think um, I'm just thinking of some writers that have, you know, written so eloquently about, you know, huge tragedies in their childhood and the guilt that they have of something as a reader you read and say, oh my gosh, you know, you were raped, not your fault. You were abused or whatever. And you think, 
you know, that, but they carry that shame with them and the idea that that, that, you know, letting it go and saying, no, look what all the good things that you've done. And you, that's you. And that was somebody else's, you know, transgression. That was somebody else's, you know, thing to carry. But it is, it's, it's, we all carry, I mean, carry a lot of baggage and some people carry particularly heavy baggage from their childhood. Yes. Um, that, you know, and I think it, you're right. Revealing that and talking about it, it's helpful for, for readers. Yeah, and I think maybe this is some of what you were talking about, Dana, with respect to stories. That stories yes. are a vehicle for us to make sense of our world, our experience. And um, we don't always, you know, a lot, you are so um, gifted, so skilled at making a story sensible, engaging, funny in places where you need some levity and also dealing really honestly and earnestly with serious stuff. But a lot of people can't do that. So we, we need to be able to read other people's stories too. So there are the writers of stories and readers of stories and um, not always are they exactly the same. And so to be able to be writing that out for people to read a story they can fall into, engage with, and grow through, I think is a huge gift. Oh, thank you. Thank you yeah. so So much. have you thought about writing fiction, or have you been playing ever with fiction? Oh, it's so, it, that's so fascinating to me. My, my aunt keeps telling that. So my, my only living aunt, my, my mother's older sister, wants me to write this story as a novel. Not because, you know, she wants me to hide any details of family or anything like that. She's not worried about that at all. But she just thinks it would make a really juicy novel if, you know, you could, you could add in a splash of this and that, you know, and all kinds of details that didn't happen, but to spice it up a little bit. And I think I would... I, my sense is that I would be a horrible fiction writer because <laughs> <laughs> just I think it would and it would come off for me as inauthentic because I'm so rooted and maybe stubborn in my nonfiction ways is that I feel like if it hasn't happened to me in real life or I haven't experienced in some way I can't I'm not sure I'm capable of writing about it if that makes sense huh that's so fascinating yeah. Well, we have um, we have a dear friend who is has embarked and has just finished a a nun. What what she had told us was nonfiction, and now she's coming around to she put in fictional elements in the story, and so we had a whole discussion this week about what do you call that? How do you make sure that you don't you know, make an agent run away screaming, but instead read your manuscript. (laughs) And it was, it was very fascinating. And there was a lot of ideas thrown around and examples. Um, But yeah, I think, I think what's interesting, and I know, Kristen, you write fiction and nonfiction. I occasionally will write an essay, but I don't write anything longer of nonfiction. Uh, but there, I think that there's an interesting, um, I think there's a common pursuit of truth Yes. for both mm-hmm. nonfiction and fiction, um, but that the fact is that you come to the truth, but you sort of allow the facts of, you know, the, 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 the specific details away in order to just embrace whatever you need to have to tell your story and to tell it in the most authentic way that you can. So it's a very interesting approach because I don't think, yeah, I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd never thought about this before, but I wonder if for you, Dana, thinking about, I think, I, I think you said, use the word authentic or inauthentic, that if you were um, to actually try, let's see, how do I put this? Sometimes people can tell the truth, so to speak, most easily through fiction, through yes. that kind of story. But mm-hmm. if you're trying, if you're using that platform or genre, but you're feeling in your heart of hearts that it's no longer true the way that, yeah, then I can see how yeah. if you're you're writing with your whole self that yes. you're not going to continue using that genre. And I right. think about how writing nonfiction, and Dana, tell me if this is different or not for you, but I think think about how you still have to select it's not like mm-hmm. you're telling all the all the aspects of fact you're not giving all mm-hmm. the details of information you have to select and the selecting is a very creative endeavor and it can be dangerous because if you yes. select some things and not others then you may end up with a misleading um section if you will or book even oh i have a question Mm -hmm. so has anyone who has been a character in your book and obviously your mother doesn't count (laughs) because she can't um, she can't speak up but has anyone specifically fred said that's not actually what happened or do you have them read it uh to get their take that's a great question and it and, and, and Kristen, thank you so much for your, well, and Meredith too, like, yeah, I'm really, you've got my wheels turning on fiction. This Isn't is it really, fun to think? <laughs> it, is, it is fun to think. It really is. And I think, quite frankly, too, I think, and my nonfiction folks might come after me for this, I think it takes more talent and skill to write fiction. I'm kind of whispering that because I think it's true. Um, it's really, I think it's much harder to write fiction. And I say that because I did try the, Na- I can never say it right. NaNoWriMo, is that right? The yes. November. Yes, I have tried that and failed notoriously year after year after year. And so my hat is always off to fiction writers because I actually think it's quite harder. Um, but I do think I love that what you said. I wrote it down actually. The common pursuit of truth. I love that. That's <laughs> incredible, and that, that is true. I think for both genres. In in my particular genre of nonfiction, I do run into the stumbling block of 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 people that I have to ask for permission legally, right, to tell their story. And poor Fred, he's like, you know, okay, another waiver, I've got to sign another one, whatever. Like by the fourth book, he was just like, just hand it to me, I'll sign it. Ah. (laughs) I think he just trusts me at this point. But for the first one, yes, for Saffron Cross, where he was a main character in that book, um, he, he had total first right of refusal he read the whole manuscript I said strike anything you want or reword it you know anything because that was I was also telling his life story as well and I do that for all the books everyone wow. who's in the book sees their graphs of where they are um, located in the book I send that to them ahead of time usually after it's been edited so that it, it doesn't scare them to it doesn't give them a heart attack um, <laughs> So that it's pretty tidy. It's pretty tight. Yeah. And then, then, you know, I have them, you know, sit with it, absorb it, and then determine, you know, if they want to sign off on a release form or not. And if they, you know, let's say they do, but they don't want their name used or, 
you know, like for my brother and sister-in-law, they, they sell all of that material way far in advance. And, you know, I said, you can change your, we can, I mean, we can change your names, but you're still my brother and sister-in-law. So <laughs> yeah. That makes People will tricky, figure but, it out. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but yeah, everybody, I mean, I think everybody feels like they're treated well in the manuscripts. And, um, like you said, my parents can't speak for themselves now at this point, now that they're both dece- deceased. So that's a little, that's a little, you, you have to handle that tenderly, mm-hmm. um, certainly, and ethically. And, and with this next book, I'll need to really, really work on that as well. Um, there have been places and books, particularly book number four for dessert first, where I needed to make a composite of characters, especially working in chaplaincy because of HIPAA and wanting oh, to yeah. be very sensitive to my patients and families, oh. making sure I protect their identities. And so those are the spaces where, you know, as a nonfiction writer, you do need to, you know, um, take some, some, some really some careful intention to make sure that you're putting together some composites of folks as opposed to revealing identifying details. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, that's right. As a hospital chaplain, you were entrusted yes. with some very confidential or yeah, sensitive material right. with people that you couldn't necessarily reach out to them later, right? I mean, you don't always have their contact information the way you do your family. That's exactly right. Yes. So yeah. for that, re- that very reason, yes. Interesting. Meredith, wow. you had another question? No, no. I was just going to also um, connect it to another dear friend of ours who um, wrote a memoir. And and through the pro- – I mean, in the process, she, she did talk a little bit about uh, – because her father had died when she was quite young – and sort of uncovering who that person was and sort of the conflict in her own family about defining who he was That's and, right. and the memories of that. And that was a process that she actually wrote about also in the book. So it was a very, it was very fascinating to see that sort of, um, you know, when I think when you lose someone, when you're very young, they become to some people, this mythical figure and to others, they're stuck in a time, whatever, if they, I don't know, if you lost a a parent when you're a teenager, perhaps you're always Mm -hmm. still angry at them, you know, and if it's a child, maybe you think you worship them and then that never changes. Mm -hmm. They never were allowed to, you never were allowed to have an adult relationship with them. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was very interesting. And I love though that you approach your, um, every aspect of your book with the same care, um, and respect mm-hmm. and that it's really wonderful to hear how you treat the subjects of your book and so I'm sure that they feel it's really generous they feel too. very they feel very <laughs> they, they trust you yeah oh, I hope so. and then I really and then you make sure you don't you don't break that trust and I and it's yes. really wonderful to hear yeah mm. Thank oh there you. there are so many things we could talk about and <laughs> oh my goodness all of your experiences and these wonderful books of yours, but we want to be sure that our um, listeners will run out and get immediately as soon as they can September dessert first preparing for death while savoring life. Our guest has been Jay Dana Trent. We're so grateful to you, Dana, for spending some time with us. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Oh, it's my honor. Thank you so much, Kristen and Meredith, for having me. I love your show. It's great. Thank you. It was really delightful to talk with you today. Thank you so much, y'all, as well. Take care. Well, um, it was just so wonderful to talk to Dana and to hear about her four books and her two out this year. And um, 
Talk a little bit about journaling. Yeah, this was really inspiring to me. I have been a terrible journal. I do keep a kind of writer journal. I'll write notes to myself about things I'm thinking. Um, and part of that journal is also lists of things I have to do. That's at the back of it. But yeah. anyway, but I, but I have always admired people who regularly take the time, that's the thing, take the time each day to regularly reflect on or just report. That's actually what I get hung up on because I think I get yeah, uh, of some of the things that have happened to them that day or thinking about that day. Yeah, it's really, it's inspiring. I yeah, do it, and I, I'm not every day. I'm not every day. Um, I feel like I should, but I'm not. Um, but I did actually teach a journal class <laughs> <laughs> and I got better during the class about doing it. Um, but what I found was interesting is there's all sorts of things you can go to for prompts. Oh. If you need them. Yeah, that makes sense. And and that can be helpful. And I know some people use notebooks that, you know, that says, you know, it gives you a prompt in it or something like that. And so yeah. sometimes it's hard to just think of what you want to talk about. Well, and, and it sounds like, I mean, it can be a way of processing what that day held, whether you do it in the, maybe at the end of the day, kind of a processing what that day or the morning, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, what you would like the day to be or yeah. where you yeah. are mentally or, um, but yeah, I, I think I found it incredibly useful, um, also for times when, I wasn't happy with where my life was mm -hmm. to be able to visualize what you want because I think a lot mm. of getting where you want to be mm -hmm. is about understanding what it is that you want and sort of speaking it out loud and yeah. a journal is a way to sort of say I want to write or I want to be a full-time writer or whatever it is that you want and imagining what that would be um, yeah hmm. so I think there's a lot of power in that yeah. Um, yeah. And this idea of the dream journal, both of you have done the dream journaling. Yeah. Which I find fascinating. Yeah. And, uh, and that is, as I said, it's a way to understand yourself better. And it sounds like Dana, a lot of her work is about understanding yeah. and processing um, these yeah. things and then helping other people. Yes, absolutely. Do the yeah, same thing. So, yeah, it does it was, seem a lot of her work is, is oriented to helping people others yeah well I would just like to note that we have gotten um our August podcast in on sort of the last available day of August <laughs> so we almost took August off but so maybe by the time I publish it'll so be September working. uh but then we'll have another one that will really be September um but it is summer here and um we're, I'm eating figs off the tree yeah. and uh, it still feels like summer so I say I declare this August <laughs> um but it was really wonderful to speak with her. And next month, mystery guest. Mystery guest once again. It will it will come to us, and we'll have someone so interesting, I'm sure. Because Me too. We have a whole list of people that we have just thought in our dreams we would love to interview, and, and yeah, we're knocking them off one by one, calling them up. And then by the time <laughs> we, then by the time we come around, I'm sure they'll have another book, so we can just go back at it again. <laughs> yes, and folks are are emerging with debuts, so exactly. that's always fun. Exactly. So stay tuned, and folks. Thanks thank you for, for joining us, us, and we'll talk to you next time.